awesome to get to gather with you uh, to worship Jesus. Uh, If this is your first time with us, welcome. We're glad you're here. And we honestly don't care where you are at in your spiritual journey. Uh, Our church family has people all over the spiritual map. And what we want is just to help you kind of go a next step closer to becoming more and more like Jesus. Our, Our aim, our mission is to help people to love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. We are convinced that that is what our world needs more than anything else. And so every single Sunday, we just focus on the person and work of Jesus, hoping that you will fall more and more in love with him, and it will just continue to change who you are, and you will end up going and being an incredible blessing to your, to your family, to your neighborhood, to your coworkers. And we just pray that God would do something great. And that's my prayer today. My prayer is that whether it be through a song lyric or the message or, or just even something God himself speaks to you into your heart, that you'll leave here just feeling encouraged and challenged to follow Jesus, to, to become more and more like him. And to do that, we're going to continue on in our His Story series. Today, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to look at this ancient list of Jewish rules. And the surprising thing about this ancient list of Jewish rules is that in recent years, they've made the modern news. And you kind of wonder, how does an ancient list of modern rules make today's nightly news? Well, that's because that ancient list of rules is called the Ten Commandments, And there have been people in our society who have been battling, arguing, fighting to get these Ten Commandments posted in public places. Whether they be a city hall or a school or a park. And it's been pretty contentious. There have been people who have fought really, really hard to get these Ten Commandments posted. And there have been some people who have fought really, really hard to not have them posted. So much so that they go and they knock monuments down and shatter them and break them. Now, I mention this because I realize that in our church family, we might have some people with some strong opinions on this. You might believe that the Ten Commandments should be posted somewhere. And so you're wanting me to right now take a public stance and say, yes, we need to make a stand on this. I'm going to disappoint you today. I'm not going to do that. And likewise, if you are wanting me to take a stand like, no, absolutely not. We should not be posting these in public places. I, too, am going to disappoint you. Because... I believe that we have gathered together to worship God and to figure out how to follow Jesus. And for us to run off into a political discussion on whether or not these things should be posted in public places, I think will take us in a direction that we don't need to go. I believe that there is something else that God has for us. And so we need to go and have that discussion. But we need to figure out, what do we do with the Ten Commandments? Do we read them, study them, follow them, and make them kind of a primary connection with God? Like, that's part of our means to connect with our creator? Or do we ignore them? Because, I mean, come on, we're modern-day Americans. Do we really need to follow an ancient list of Jewish rules in 2017? Or is there possibly something different? Something else that God has for us? Many of you in this room would claim to follow Jesus. What do you do with these Ten Commandments? That's what I hope we figure out today as we look at Exodus 20. Let me pray. Father, as we come into the scriptures, I pray that ultimately you would be our teacher and our guide today. That you would help us to hear what your spirit has to say. Both what you have said to your people long ago, and yet what you have for us today. And the truth that will resonate even after we have passed. So I pray that today you would draw us front and center to Jesus, and that we would see how to follow Jesus, and how that includes things like the Ten Commandments. 
and the Jewish law. So it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hopefully you are open up to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, If you do not have a Bible, I do have the scripture on the screen for you. Uh, If you want, you can always go and pick up a Bible. We've got paper copies in the back. Please take one of those, make it yours. We've got two different translations. We'll find the one that fits you best. If you've got a smartphone, I encourage you to download a free Bible. Uh, That way when you're on your lunch break, you're not surfing yesterday's sports scores or Facebook, you can actually sit and read your Bible. And if you don't know what to read, we even have Bible reading bookmarks back there that you can take and it'll even help you track along with us this entire series. But because you're going to listen to me for about 30 minutes or so, I thought it'd be nice to hear a different voice, so I've invited Ed to come and read today's scripture reading. So Ed's going to read Exodus 20, 1 through 17, so you read silently along as he reads aloud. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image In the form of anything in heaven above, or on earth beneath, or in the waters below, you shall not bow down to them and worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Great. Thank you, Ed. All right, so what we have is the Big Ten. You shall have no other gods before... God. You shall not make idols uh, or worship them. You shall not take God's name in vain. You shall not remember the Sabbath. You shall honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness, and you shall not covet. So there we have it, the big ten. Unlike the football conference, this one really has ten in it. However, this is really just the beginning of the law. If you keep reading, you start seeing God giving lots and lots and lots of rules. And so it makes you wonder, what's special about the Ten Commandments? Like, if it's just the beginning of all these rules, why do we kind of separate these ten compared to everything else? Well, I think it's for several reasons. First, it's the context in which we read this. If you go back into chapter 19, you see some pretty dramatic things happening. Like, this would be an awesome movie. I mean, the the people are are at Mount Sinai, and all of a sudden, God begins to descend as a cloud, and there's thunder, and there's lightning, and the people suddenly realize, oh my goodness, we are in the presence of God. And when God calls for Moses to come up the mountain, the people are like, "Uh, yeah, yeah, Moses, you go ahead. And in fact, we'll just listen to you. Because like, if God talks to us, we'll die. And then God begins to speak. And the first words he begins to say to them 
the Ten Commandments. Also, I think these Ten Commandments are like a prelude. They're like, if you will, think of it like the the prelude to the U.S. Constitution or the Bill of Rights to the amendments. Like, it's the beginning. And, And so that kind of grabs hold of your attention. But also, if you continue to read on through those rules and laws, you eventually start seeing like, oh, hey, that one kind of ties back to that commandment in the Ten Commandments. And you read another one and go, oh, yeah, that's also in the Ten Commandments. Like, you start realizing that much of the law is like fleshing out, giving greater detail to the Ten Commandments. And pretty soon you start realizing, wow, the Ten Commandments is a really good summary of the law. I think that's why the Ten Commandments are kind of special. And yet, if you look at the Ten Commandments themselves, you can actually begin to reduce them down. The the first four kind of have to do with your relationship with God. The the last six, kind of your relationship with others. And so it starts to help you understand that when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh, and the second's much like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, love God, love others. And you start seeing that the Ten Commandments could be reduced to love God and love others. I think that's what makes the Ten Commandments kind of so special to people. It just could be reduced down. And it just sounds so simple. It's so beautiful. I mean, I know churches that that's their mission statement. Love God, love others. I mean, you're reducing it down to its elements. And yet it is so hard to do. Don't believe me? Then just take the Ten Commandment test with me. Let's just start with the first one. You shall have no other gods before me. And you know what? While we're at it, number two is very like it. So let's just lump that in. You shall have no like carved, graven images, worship these idols. Now, how many of you have a little wooden statue at home or maybe a stone statue? It's kind of up there on the, the, the shelf or the fire mantle place. And you gather all the kids around and you say, okay, it's time for us to pray to, you know, Bubba or Papa or whatever you name it. And you all kind of bow down to this little idol. A- anyone here? No, none of you. So you're thinking... Yeah, I got this. This is easy. I'm going to pass this test. Except that when you start really looking at it, it isn't so much about these wooden statues. It's about your heart. Are you putting anything before God? Or is God first in your affections? Is he first in your mind? Is he the first thing that you want and long for? Because if we're all honest, we even have moments where that's not true. If you've ever romantically chased after someone, they've often taken first place in your heart. If you've ever like longed for a certain job or a certain amount of money, that becomes your passion. I mean, shoot, I've gotten more excited about a two-hour movie than I have the eternal God at times. All of us have at moments placed something else before God. And so we're guilty of breaking commandment number one or two. That would be strike one. All right, so you're saying, okay, Aaron, I'm not perfect, but I haven't broken number six. All right, I have never murdered anyone. And I just want to say, good, I'm glad that gives me a sigh of relief because, you know, I I had a fear that I was talking to a bunch of serial killers, but now I'm pretty sure I can walk out of here alive. So good, I'm glad you haven't murdered anyone. However, Jesus kind of blows this one up. In Matthew 5, as he's doing his Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon ever, He says this, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. So there it is. He quotes the Ten Commandments. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, 
will be liable to the hell of fire. Kids, I know you guys are great on this. You're golden. You've never gotten mad at your sibling and yelled at the top of your lungs and wished you could just take your fist and bury it three inches into their skull. Never. I know. You guys are good and golden. But I'm going to let you know, your mom and your dad, sometimes uh, at work or with you or, you know, the neighbor, like sometimes inside. No, we're really good at hiding it. I mean, we, we can fake it. Great. But yeah, we're angry. We lose it. We actually wish someone harm. And that would be strike number two. If you look at the next one, it says, do not commit adultery. I realize that in a room this size, that it is possible that some of you in here have broken this command. And you're sitting there with a little bit of guilt. But some of you are sitting there going, okay, good. Good on that one. Golden. Never, never committed adultery on that one. Again, Jesus blows this one out of the water. Same chapter in Matthew 5, starting in verse 27. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. So there it is, the Ten Commandments. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If you've ever lusted after someone who isn't your spouse, you have broken commandment number seven. That'd be three strikes. And we could go on. We could look at commandment 8, 9, 10. We could go back and capture number 3 or number 4. We could look at any of them. And as you start looking through the 10 commandments, you start realizing, whoops, strike there, strike there, strike there. And pretty soon you're guilty of breaking 7, 8, 9, maybe even all 10 of them. And suddenly you're going, okay, how many strikes does God give? Because if it's three strikes and you're out, I'm dead meat. Well, as you begin looking through the Old Testament and you see how the Jews interact with these Ten Commandments, you begin to discover it's not three strikes and you're out. It's actually one strike and you're out. If you go to Numbers chapter 15, there's a story of a guy going around and picking up sticks. His fault? Doing it on the Sabbath. He's doing work. So the people kind of, they catch him doing this. They gather him all together and they talk to Moses and the leaders like, what do we do with him? And so Moses and leaders, they pray to God and God says, kill him. For breaking the Sabbath, commandment number four, the penalty was death. In Numbers chapter 25, you see the people, some of the Israelites, beginning to worship Baal or Baal. Some people pronounce it differently. And you see that there were even some of the leaders who began to lead the people in worship of Baal. And so God allows a plague to come into the camp. It begins to kill people off. And it isn't until they take some of the leaders that were leading the people into the false worship of this false god and they hang them, that the plague is stopped. The penalty for breaking commandment number one was death. Go to Joshua chapter 7. Right after the Israelites have marched around Jericho, the walls have fallen in. God said, when the walls cave in, you will go in and plunder the city, but all of the gold and the silver is mine. Put it into the temple treasury. Except a guy named Achan breaks commandment number eight, and he steals some of the gold and the silver for himself. And when it is discovered, the penalty was death. It's not three strikes and you're out. It's one strike and you're out forever. Aren't you so glad you came to Riverwood today? I mean, this is like such a happy, peppy message, isn't it? All right, so let's set that aside for just a moment. We'll come back to it. Let's go to something kind of happy for a second. All right, let's go and talk about love. All right, let's get some audience participation. What are some things that you love? Anyone? What? Your wife. Good. I'm glad someone started with that one. Okay, great. Good job. All right, something else. 
Your children, yes. Others. Just call it out. Pets, oh, good one. I like it, yeah. Some of us love our pets. What other things do we love? Jobs, yep. Many people love their jobs. Chocolate, yes. That is an honest answer right there. (laughs) I got an amen over there, okay. Anyone else on chocolate? All right, anything else that you want to call out? Coffee, what did you say? Video games, yeah, that would be my kids too, all right? Notice, all of us can call out things that we love. Now, how many of those things do you have to get commanded to do? Like, do your parents have to say, okay, you really need to go and play your video games. Come on, get with it. No, like no one has to tell me, Aaron, you really need to sit down and watch a two-hour movie. All right, I just, I love doing it. That's a great way for me to relax. All right, hey, Aaron, you really got to eat some ice cream. Okay, twist my arm. I'll do it. No, when, when you love something, no one has to command you to do it. You just go and you do it. Which makes you wonder why God had to give the Ten Commandments. You see, when God created Adam and Eve, they were made to love him. No one had to command them. Hey, when God shows up in the garden, you need to run to him. No, they were like little kids. They just ran to their God. The the relationship was pure. But when they sinned, notice they didn't run to God anymore. They ran away. They tried to hide. They tried to cover themselves up because they no longer loved God. That's what the Ten Commandments do. They reveal just how much we don't actually love God. They reveal how much we actually put ourselves before God and how we put ourselves before others. I mean, don't get me wrong. The Ten Commandments are powerful. I mean, here we are, how many thousands of years later, and we're talking about them. I mean, these Ten Commandments, they make it into the nightly news in America. These are powerful. And yet they are not powerful enough to change a heart. They cannot make you love God. They cannot make you love others. All they can do is reveal just how much you fall short of doing that. That's what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans. If you know where Romans is, go ahead and flip there to chapter 3. We're going to look at a few verses there. But as as you're turning to Romans, uh, just a quick background. He's writing a letter to these Jesus followers in Rome. Some were Jewish, some were not. They were Gentiles. And as he's writing, he talks about humanity in general. And he starts showing this spiral of sin. And his readers, Paul suspects, are going, oh, yeah, I see that all the time. I mean, just the world out there, all those sinners, oh, they're just evil, horrible people. And then Paul in chapter 2 starts going, yeah, but you're just like them. And he starts showing how everyone is sinful. But some of the Jewish readers would start arguing back, going, well, well, wait a second. But I'm Jewish. I've been following the Jewish law, so I'm, I'm good, Right? And he writes this in chapter 3, verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, justified in God's sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. In other words, if you try to apply a law, whether the Ten Commandments or some other law, in order to earn your way back to God, it can't work. It is incapable of changing you at the heart level. It doesn't matter how good you adhere to it. It can't do it. All it does is reveal the knowledge of sin. It just exposes just how much you actually don't love God and don't love others. And it is right in this dark moment, this frustrating moment, that the light breaks through. Because you keep reading what Paul writes there in uh, 3, starting in verse 21. 
But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So the Jewish law, the Mosaic law, as well as the prophets, they point to this thing, this other thing that's outside of the law. What is it? Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You know, the Ten Commandments, it can't save you, but it sure points to something that can. The Ten Commandments, they can't change you, but they show how much you need to change. They show you need help, you need saved. It points to a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus In fact, Jesus himself, back in that famous sermon in Matthew 5, said this, verse uh, 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He does not look at the Ten Commandments and go, that was a mistake, didn't work out. No, he came and said, done, did it. Checked it off, signed my name, it's completed, it's fulfilled. I did it for you. And so when you begin to look back at the Ten Commandments, not as a list of rules that you need to keep, but as something Jesus fulfilled, it suddenly changes how you view it and how you interact with it. So now let's go back and retake the Ten Commandment test. And this time we will look at all of it, but we're going to look at it through a Jesus lens. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. When you begin to follow Jesus, you're becoming Jesus-centered, You're saying, I am following the one true God. Because there's one God revealed in three persons. Jesus is God the Son. So as you follow Jesus, he leads you into the Father. It's sealed with the Spirit. You're now following the one true God. You're having no other gods before you because Jesus fulfills commandment number one. Number two, you shall have no other carved images. You shall not worship any other idols. Well, why would you want to do that? Because you're now worshiping Jesus. Colossians says that Jesus, through him, all things are created by him and for him. So why in the world would you worship some little idol of, of a person, which God creates humans? Or some idol of a son, when God created the son? Or even an idol of a bird, when God created birds? Why would you go and worship the creation when you can worship the creator? You don't want to, because you're being Jesus-centered. Because he fulfills commandment number two. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Parents, how many of you, when you're really angry, like you stub your toe, something goes wrong at work, and so you just utter one of your children's names? No, like you say it when you're mad at them, right? But you don't stub your toe and go, oh, Salem, oh, oh, okay, oh, oh, man. Okay, you you don't do that with your spouse. You know, you don't hit yourself with a hammer and go, oh, Leanne, oh, Leanne, 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 Leanne. No. So why in the world would you do that with the Savior of the world? When you're being Jesus-centered, you don't want to. His name becomes precious to you because he realized he's fulfilled commandment number three. Number four is about the Sabbath, about rest. When you go into the book of Hebrews, you begin to discover that Jesus is the Sabbath. He is your rest. It isn't about a certain day. It's about him. And this rest that he gives you spiritually, he fulfills commandment number four. Commandment number five is honoring your father and your mother. Some of you, you might have parents like mine. I have awesome parents. 
I, I love them. They are so supportive of us. When I told them that we were leaving a, a great church and a great paying job to go and fundraise and start a new church, they didn't think I was crazy. They were behind us 110%. I have amazing parents. It's easy for me to honor them. Some of you, though, it, it may not be easy. You may really, really struggle to honor your parents. But when you're being Jesus-centered, you start realizing that God is in control and he chose your father and your mother to bring them together to create you so that you could know him and you could go and be a blessing. And so you don't live in anger at your parents because you realize God was at work and they're not perfect, but he did create you and he's got a purpose for you. And so you can honor your father and your mother because of Jesus, because he fulfills commandment number five. Number six, you shall not murder. When you're living a Jesus-centered life, you begin to become very pro-life because you realize that God created humans and every single human has the image of God upon them. So why in the world would you want to take their life? No, you would want to honor that life because you're seeking to honor God because Jesus fulfills commandment number six. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Why would you want to run into the arms of someone else? Because you start realizing as a Jesus-centered person, God has given you your spouse as a gift. And no, they're not perfect. Your marriage may have rough spots, but you still seek to honor them because God has given this gift to you. So you're not running into the arms of someone else because Jesus fulfills commandment number seven. Number eight, you shall not steal. Why in the world would you want to steal when you have Jesus? Because Jesus is God. He's the provider. He gives you everything you need. When you steal, you're in a sense saying, God, I don't fully trust you can give me everything I need. I got to kind of take this one for myself. And he's saying, no, trust me. Don't steal because I have fulfilled commandment number eight. You don't have to steal. I'm everything you need. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness. Jesus describes himself as the truth. And he says, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So why would you need to go and lie? Why would you need to give a false testimony against someone? You don't. Because you can live in the truth. Because you're a Jesus-centered person. And the last one, number 10, you shall not covet. This kind of ties in with number eight. Why in the world would you covet? I mean, you, you don't need to covet your, your neighbor's car or your neighbor's house or your neighbor's spouse or your neighbor's really cool in-home theater system that would sound awesome and make movies just pop out. Not that I know anything about that. No, you don't have to covet after those things because God has given you everything you need. Do you see how Jesus fulfills these 10 commandments? Do you see how when you're seeking to follow Jesus, it rearranges this? This is no longer a list that you have to follow in order to impress God. It's now something that just begins to flow out of you because of who Jesus is and what he has done. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower yet, I'm just going to let you know that if you say yes to following Jesus, it does not make your life perfect in an instant. All of us in this room screw up. We do not hold those Ten Commandments up purely and perfectly. The question is, though, when you do screw up, what do you do? Do you fall towards grace? Do you thank God for his forgiveness? Do you turn towards the gospel? Or do you pull in Adam and an Eve and you run to yourself? You go and you try and hide. You try and cover it up. You make excuses. You blame. When you mess up, how do you fall? To help you practice the fall, I want to encourage you, just engage in spiritual disciplines. As you read the scriptures, you will see God's love for you, his love for humanity. 
So as you read the scriptures, God is molding and changing you to be more and more like Christ so that when you do mess up, you can fall towards the scriptures. You start hearing the truth of God, what it says about you. You're forgiven, you're free. You don't have to do that sin. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're now the child of God. Prayer. Develop a conversation with God. Some of us, we feel like, ah, you know, yeah, I talk to God, but, you know, my prayers aren't very impressive. God knows every single language on earth. Do you think he's going to be impressed even if you have a mastery of one? No, he isn't after you certain words. He's after your heart. So just talk to him, all right? If you know how to put words together, you can pray. So just pray, talk to God. As you talk and get in communication with him, he molds you and changes you so that when you do screw up, the first things on your lips is prayer not running and hiding and blaming. Get into conversation. Get into relationship. That's why we have growth groups through the week. As you get into these conversations with people, you start talking about these things, you learn more about the gospel, and it reminds you. You sense the forgiveness of God through those friends and those relationships when you confess your sin to them. Because the scriptures say when we confess our sin, God is able to forgive us of that sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So get into relationship so that God can help minister to you through those friends. Do you see how just engaging in some very simple spiritual disciplines can help you begin to become more and more like Christ so that you don't view the Ten Commandments or whatever list is in your head as this is what I need to do to follow God. Instead, it becomes all about Jesus, what he's already done, and he begins changing you from the inside out. That is how I think we need to interact with the Ten Commandments. It isn't something we force from the outside in because that doesn't work as we saw Paul say in Romans 3. Instead, we look at Jesus, we preach the gospel to ourselves, and as he changes us inside, it begins to come out. And we change. We are different. I was on Right Now Media uh, this last week and I came across a video of a guy named Mike. He lives in New York City and his story just resonates with what we're talking about right now. So I'd like you just to watch a little bit of Mike's story. Christ. I worked in New York City, you know, lots of coarse language, co-workers, female co-worker, a lot of, you know, what you do last night, sexual innuendos, pornography stuff on the walls in the bathroom and in the back, just raunchy. Everything was raunch. Totally normal to, you know, curse and, and just talk foul. Very offensive, you know, like calling people names. You know, we, we used to just, every morning, this is literally, we'd greet each other, good morning, stupid, and we called each other stupid, right? That's life. That's the way you talk, right? You, I, I think it's like you don't even know any better. I had a customer uh, literally call me to ask to help her with something. I wind up telling her, well, my life is a mess. Next thing I know, she asked me if I had a Bible, and everybody, to me, everybody has a Bible in America, right? Went and found it, dug it up, and it talked about hope and character, right? Perseverance. Then I come into work. It's like the middle of the week. No joke, like 10 people come in that day asking me if I know Jesus, asking if they could pray for me. Somebody read John 3.16 to me, which I never heard. I had a customer. Uh, she came in and said, you know, the Holy Spirit told me to come in here and invite, and invite you to my church on Sunday. I'm like, who? You know, that's like like crazy talk. Sunday I went. I went to church. I go in, I sat in the back, 
the pastor came up and he starts talking. Everything he's saying, I'm like, it is directly to me, for me. I'm hearing every word he says to the congregation. You know, I'm going to pray a prayer. If you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, repent of your sins. So as he's asking that, I'm doing it. I'm there. I'm hearing God. It's like, I think he's speaking to me. After I got saved, I'm reading the Bible every morning. That's like my train ride is about a 25-minute commute on the train. Yeah, I get to work, and uh, the Bible is telling me, you know, I'm I'm a royal priesthood, and I'm loved. And, you know, I can't go into my work anymore and, hey, what's up, stupid? You know, it's like, no, you're not stupid. You're you're precious. You know, I'd come to work instead of tearing people down. I would, uh, you know, the Bible tells you to encourage one another and lift each other up. People were blown away. It was like, what happened to you? You know, what, where's the other guy? This is not the same guy. There were people that would come in and, hey, what's up, mother blanking, you know, da-da-da-da-da to you. And now all of a sudden they're watching their mouth to me, right? Oh, sorry, sorry for cursing in front of you. I'm like, I didn't even say it. I'm offended by it. And yet they're looking to watch their mouth. Now, I obviously don't know Mike, couldn't interview him, but I can guarantee this. His mouth has not been perfect since the moment he prayed to give his life to Jesus. There have been moments where he probably said something in anger. Maybe he called someone stupid, uh, uttered a, a curse word. I mean, that had been such a pattern of his life. But yet, did you notice the coworkers, the customers did not say, you know, Mike, you really got to clean up your language. They didn't try and start with some sort of law and work it in to change him. They just simply, hey, I feel like God's telling me to invite you to church. You know, telling about Jesus, reading scriptures to him. And he hears the message and he hears the gospel and it comes to the inside. And then it changes who he is and what he does. It changes the outside. And he just began to see it little by little as he got into the scriptures, as he starts talking to God, as he gets into relationship in his church, and he begins to change and becoming more and more like Christ. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know I am thrilled you're here. We actually have started Riverwood Church for you. And I would love for Mike's story to become your story. I would love for you to say yes to following Jesus, that you would place him first in your life, that you wouldn't try and follow some sort of list of rules thinking like, if I'm just a good enough person, I'm okay. God will let me into heaven. This isn't about getting to heaven later. This is about a relationship now because I believe that God wants to change who you are right here, right now because every single one of you is in some sort of influence Whether it's in your job or in your school or in your neighborhood or in a club, you have relationships. And rather than just going into those relationships, trying to just be a good person, adhere to some sort of law so everyone thinks you're really great and and got it all together, you would be a Jesus-centered person. And as Jesus is the center of your life, out will spill this gospel. And it affects the way you talk. It affects the way you act. It affects the way you serve. And people will notice And it will change them. So if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, I'm just going to simply invite you. Place your faith in him. Put him first. Most people, they make a moment like that, a decision like that, by marking it with prayer. They they just simply confess that they are a sinner, 
and they recognize that Jesus has died on the cross for them. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray. But as I pray, you can make your own prayer, expressing something like Mike did. That Jesus, you died for me and my sins, and I'm forgiven. And you know, invite me to become your child, and you want to begin this process of working on the inside of me. And so I open up my life. I say, thank you for forgiving me. I now follow you. If you're already a follower of Jesus, but you have not been letting God be first, you're either letting the worries of this life get in the way, you're letting your addiction get in the way, you're letting something else get in the way, you're playing nice on the outside, but inside you know God's not first. I just want to invite you to repent. Come back to Jesus in your heart, fall on your knees, say, thank you for forgiving me. Let's fall towards grace and let's let God continue this process of making us more and more like Christ because I believe your greatest joy is found when Jesus works in you and you're loving like him and living like him. So Father, I just pray right now for each and every one of us. We are at different places in our spiritual journey and yet you know exactly what next step we need to take. So I pray for the person right now that their next step is to say yes to following Jesus. They've not made a, a decision like this before and today they're placing their full faith upon you, making you the center of their life. And as they do so, God, I pray that you would do something beautiful, that you'd work from the inside out, that they'd stop putting on some sort of production on the outside, being a, a fantastic actor, making it look like they've got it all together. But instead, they are surrendering their life to you, allowing you on the inside so that you and your gospel can, can change who they are, the way they think, the way they act, the way they, they speak, and they would be a completely different person. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Jesus who have been putting something on the outside, but on the inside, they're struggling. I pray that right now you'd help them to fall towards grace, that they'd come to Christ and they would just proclaim him again and they'd walk out of here knowing just how much you love them and how much they are forgiven. So God, help us to not try and be 10 commandment type of Christians. Help us to be Jesus-centered followers and that you just bring out of us naturally how you intended us always to live, to love you, to love others. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.